Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Tonight we are in uh, the book of Acts as we continue our study in the life of the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 13. The ushers also are, are coming up and down the aisles right now with Bibles if you want to get their attention, if you want to follow along with us in our uh, study tonight as we study the Word together and, and uh, listen to the Lord. And let's just, uh, let's just pray one last time. I know that it almost seems redundant because we know He's here and He's heard us, but uh, let's just ask Him. Father, we again just come to You, Lord, as we uh, turn our hearts completely to Your Word. We ask, Lord, that You would shut out every other voice You said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So give us ears to hear your voice tonight, Lord, and I pray that you would do uh, um, profound and impactful things in us, Lord, as we listen to you tonight, Lord. So have every heart here. I pray right now, if there's anyone in this room right now that's under any weight of condemnation, uh, any doubt in in them that you're for them or that you want to speak to them, I pray you just remove that right now immediately, Lord, and uh, that, that every person here would be able to receive tonight what you have. And so we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, those of you that are here that are blessed and privileged enough to know my wife or to have any um, form of a relationship with her at all, um, you know that she is not one that is connected very much with her phone, okay? Um, and, and I just want you to know that it, it's not you, that if you ha- have, have ever been frustrated with her for not um, answering a text message or an email or answering the, the call, the phone, it is not you. Um, it is me too. It is everyone. She's just one of those people uh, that at the end of the day, I come home and I have to say, how many missed calls do you have on your phone? Please look at it right now. And uh, this has always been a problem. I um, have, uh, over the years, as my kids have gotten older, I have um, purchased for my oldest three phones. And, and, and just confession, part of the reason for that is so that I can get in touch with my wife. <laughs> but what I have learned is that they also are not married to their phones. And there is just a sum total of many, many missed calls sometimes at the end of the day uh, when I come home because they're just not... Uh, ones that do that. I have four people now. Actually, that's not true. My, my daughter, Hosanna, the oldest, is pretty good. She will answer. The problem is she is only home for like 1% of daylight hours and has no uh, means of making that, that connection. So it, it is just constant frustration <laughs> in the whole thing. Now, um, I, and I also know that they're not sitting around waiting for my call, you know, that they have more going on in their life than me calling them, you know, that's uh, a truth, you know. Um, and it's frustrating. But, but what about, what about uh, you know, you're maybe a person that doesn't get the call. You know, you have a lot of missed calls at the end of the day. What, what happens when it's not your spouse or your child or, you know, your dad? What happens when it's God? And there's a call. He's calling you. He's trying to get your attention. And there's a missed call and another missed call and another missed call. I wonder if any of us have ever missed a call that came to us from God. And so uh, that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you about um, not missing your calls. The title of the message is, Do You Have Any Missed Calls? And it's from Acts chapter 13. So let's just read the first three verses, uh, and then we'll, we'll build uh, through this 
systematically here. It says in verse 1 of chapter 13, it says that there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. That is the main character of our story by the end of the chapter. His name will uh, be Paul. And it says that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Okay, we use the word calling uh, as a regular part of our language uh, uh, in the context of our lives. We use it frequently and little do we consider how uh, weighty and how powerful that word actually is or that concept of calling. We use the word uh, calling. It's powerful, but yet it's very vast, and it's also very generic. Uh, We use the word calling in the context of so many things that sometimes don't even relate to each other. We use the word calling in the context of our uh, earthly lives and the things that we do on earth. We use the same word when it comes to a calling that we may have from the heavenly realm or in the spiritual realm. We use the word calling in the context uh, of both the things that we are, that is our personality, the, the elements that make us uh, our, our individual being, we refer to them as our calling. It's something that's placed inside of us. And we also use it in the context of the things that we do when it comes to our vocation or our actions or what we give ourselves to. We use the language of calling. We use the language of calling in the context of our deepest desires, and our internal drives, the things that are uh, deep inside of us, we refer to those things as a calling. It's more than just a, a, a desire or an act. It's, it's something deep. It's a calling. We also use the word calling in the context of the duties of our life and the things that are required of us, the things that we're called upon to do, sometimes that have absolutely zero relationship to anything that we want to do. It's just something that we have to do because we're called upon to do it. And so calling is a very powerful word. It's also powerful because the vastness and the depth of of what it implies and what it means, it allows us to use that word sometimes as an umbrella or as a shield or as a mirror, sometimes to avoid something that we don't want to do that we should do. You know, if we are called and we have a calling in our lives truly to be a, a, a dad, a mom, or a husband, or a wife, we might use the language of calling to shield us from that responsibility. We might say, well, because of my calling in something greater, I can't be what I perceive or, or, or uh, make less that would be in my marriage or, or as a dad. Uh, sometimes we use it as a shield or an umbrella to involve ourselves in something that we shouldn't. We, we meddle into things that we have no business being in, and we use the word calling as our excuse or our reason because it makes people kind of back off because there's power in that word. Well, I'm called, or you're called. <laughs> I don't want to step on anybody's calling. And so sometimes people get involved in things that they shouldn't under the guise of something that they call their calling. Sometimes mature people or people that have a little bit more experience in life, they will use the word calling to manipulate people 
to move in ways that they want them to or to do things that they want them to that maybe they should not be doing. Someone with some spiritual maturity or life experience might look at someone and say, well, I feel uh, from God or, or, or based on my experience that you are called to, and they might fill in the blank, and someone that uh, maybe is less mature or unseasoned, unable to hear God's voice super clearly, they might listen to that and say, oh, well, I guess if this person is saying it, I trust their, uh, their wisdom their discernment. So I'm going to move into that because they said it. And, and meanwhile, you could be being manipulated. You get the idea that calling is a very powerful word, a very powerful concept. And it's also powerful because every single human being, everyone that's made in the image of God, has written in them something to serve or to do that's bigger than they are. It's bigger than we are. And we call that our calling. We're, we have this drive in us to do something significant and meaningful, something that's lasting and impactful. And so the word calling is something that touches and taps into the very meaning of life and the very purpose for our existence. It's a big word. It's a big concept. And it's something that we're dealing with right here in the scripture because now God is reaching into a life and he is saying that he wants to separate two men from what they are doing currently because he's calling them into something higher or something other. Now, to be fair, almost no one, almost no human being has just one calling. Sometimes I think we all wish that, that we did. If there was just one thing that I could give myself to, and that was it. Wouldn't life be easy? When I, was, when I was preparing this part, I looked at my cat, and I thought, my cat has a very easy calling. It does one thing. It stays soft. That's it. That's all it has to do. It doesn't even, it doesn't even eat mice. It just stays pretty. That's all it has to do. I was thinking about other things in the, in the animal kingdom, and I was thinking, you know, it, it seems like everything has at least one calling, but then I started thinking about what is a deer? And a deer, I don't think they have any calling at all. You know, I mean, they're peaceful creatures when you see them. And so I actually Googled it because I was like, what, is, what does a deer do in the ecosystem? And, and do you know what? Every single, every single search answer was the same. Do you know what they are? They're the middle link in the food chain. That's it. They, they transfer herbaceous nutrients from the ground to carnivores. They, go, they eat the vegetables, and then they are eaten by the carnivores, including humans. And that's it. And I thought, man, that's a bummer of a, of a destiny. You know, <laughs> my whole purpose in life is to eat vegetables so I can be eaten. You know, that's awful. <laughs> but humans, we are complex. We are not like the animal kingdom where we just have one thing. We have multidimensional, high-capacity things inside of us. We're the creation of God in this whole thing. Okay, and, and humans, we move in response to calling. So I just think about my own life, and everything that I am as a person has a calling attached to it. In that I am a male, and yes, I used that word in church. Don't, please don't cancel me. <laughs> but, but in that I am a male, I am called to be strong, to be a defender, to be a protector, to be a provider, to be a leader in society and in my family. That is a calling that I have. As a husband, I am called to love, to serve, to listen, to support, to give, to provide for my wife and to be faithful to her. As a dad, 
I am called to nurture and to be present and to unfold and teach and cultivate and decode and interpret my kids. As a business leader or owner, I am called to be competent, diligent, relational, available, fair, and responsive. As a preacher, I am called to be spiritual, connected, studious, skillful, relevant, growing, holy, and wise. As a friend, I am called to care, to connect, to help, to serve, to elevate, to be vulnerable. And as a Christian, which opens up a whole new world of things, okay, because it changes the dynamic of every other part of my life, and it informs every other part of my life, and it comes with a whole new set of callings. Because as a Christian now, I'm called to be a student and to be disciplined and unto self-denial and unto submission and sacrifice and all the host of other things that being a Christian implies and calls us into. And when you think about all of that, it makes you want to take a nap. Because you, you realize, like, oh my goodness. In fact, as I was writing this down, my wife was in the room and I just said, I quit. I quit humanity. I can't, I can't do it. And I just started thinking about all the things that I'm called to be and called to do and how terribly short I fall, not just collectively, but in every individual area. I can't use the word that I am in all of that. I'm just horrible at it. And I said it to her. I said, this is horrible. And she, and she looked at me, and she's so wise and quick, and she's so bright, and she just said, if you could do it, you'd be God. And she said, everyone wants to be a savior. That's why you want to be so good in all those things, but you can't be a savior. And if you were any better in any of those things than you are, then people would lean on you instead of Jesus. And I said, thank you for setting me free. <laughs> because all of that together can make you feel very overwhelmed. Now, that is not an excuse, what I just said, what she said to me. But it is a freedom, isn't it? And it's a permission for us to have joy in the midst of our insufficiency because the grace of God is supposed to be what makes up what we are not in and of ourselves. Now, we are all of those things, and those things are all callings, and they're all from God, and they all have things that are expected of us and required of us and that we're to be growing in. But there is also a call that can come from God that is somewhat of an interruption, like what we're seeing here in the text. Or maybe it's not an interruption as much as it is a promotion, wherein God brings us to a point in our lives where he wants to do something new, or he wants to shift around the landscape of the things that we're involved in. And it's more of a checkpoint or a mile marker as he moves us into his will and into his plan for us for the ages. God moves us into a new place. It's a new privilege. It's a new responsibility. And that's what's happening with Saul and Barnabas here. They've been moving in a certain direction. They've been walking in what God has called them to thus far. And now they come to a point where God gives them a more specific calling something that he wants to do with and in their lives. And so as we consider this in Acts chapter 13, as Paul and Barnabas now move into this calling, I want to answer three questions because this applies to every single one of us. Because though probably none of us are called to be an apostle like Paul, and probably none of us are called to be even missionaries as he's about to enjoin himself on a missionary journey, absolutely Every single one of us has a calling from God that he has placed upon our lives and things that he wants to move us into as we continue to grow in him. And so I want to answer three questions that you might have concerning this concept of calling that we get from this, this text. 
And here's what they are. Number one is before the calling, how does it happen? The second one is during the calling, how do you know it's God? And then the third is after the calling, how does it work and what does life look like when we respond to it and walk in it? That's what we have answered before us here. So what happened before the calling came? Because every one of us is living in this life where we feel this sense of something that's calling us further, calling us deeper, calling us higher, calling greatness out of us. Sometimes we can't realize it or we're growing towards that place and we're wondering, how do we see it through? Is it just going to be like some magical moment where a light switch is going to go on and all of a sudden it's going to make sense? Or is there more of a process to it? Or is there something I can be doing or a place I can be positioning myself wherein I can be ready and able to receive or even able to be called? How does it happen? What happens before? It tells us in verse 2, it says that this group of spiritual saved men, that they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. That's what it says in verse 2. It says that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, that it was then that the Holy Ghost spoke and said, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them unto. It's where the calling came. Well, what were they doing before the calling came that set the stage for the calling to come? It tells us there that they ministered to the Lord. And you say, well, what exactly does that mean? The word minister just simply means to serve. They served the Lord, or more specifically, they served God's purposes first in their priority. That the order of their priority in their heart and in their life is that whatever God wants, whatever God needs, whatever God is asking of my life, whatever attitude or position God wants me to have, that is the way I'm going to align my life. That that's where I'm positioning myself. I'm giving myself to something. I'm going to be under its purpose. That's what it means to serve. And so what we see is that prior to a calling or a promotion to something specific, that in the lives of these people, there was a consistent dedication and a steady pursuit of his person and his cause. That's what led up to a calling. They were consistently seeking him. Now, there's, I think, three areas of our lives where, where this is reflected, where this comes forward, or there's three kind of, I guess, actions that we can take in order to walk in this kind of a mentality where we are ministering to the Lord or, 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 or bringing ourselves under his purpose or submitting to his will. The first one is in our study of the word. Because it's, it's through the study of the Word of God that we get to know the heart and the will of God. It's also how we learn to discern the voice of God and understand the values of God and become citizens experienced in the kingdom of God. It happens through His Word. And as we're going to see, Paul was so immersed in the Word that he had it at the tip of his tongue and at the root of his heart all the time. And I think that a person who is going to bring themselves to be under the purpose of God, to serve his purposes, is going to be a person that wants to know the God that they are submitting to, and the word of God is what he's given us in order to do that. And so they were, first of all, students continually of the word. The second action is not just the study of the word, but to cultivate the relationship with the God of the word. 
We do not serve Father, Son, and Holy Bible, okay? We are called into a relationship with the living God. A relationship requires communication. It requires friendship and intimacy. It requires a giving and a taking and a receiving, and there's a relational depth that goes beyond just a religious ritual or, or some kind of a, a, a distant thing that's happening. It's deep and it's inspirational. And, and that happens. There's a relationship that happens with God, and it has to. And it has every kind of element and, and uh, component of even an earthly relationship. Do you guys, I, you guys, I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I, I hope you have, okay? But you know, like when you, you aren't really perfectly right with your spouse, and there's like, there's like a little, maybe a rift. I'm not saying that you hate each other or anything like that, but there's a little bit of rift, you know? And, and you, you sleep right on that bar on the mattress. Do you know what I'm talking about? You, you can balance there the whole night, right? And you can sleep right on the edge of that thing. And, you're, and you just sleep, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Listen, that can happen with God. All right, you in a relationship, you go through times where you say, Lord, I am, I, I am sleeping here, I'm living here, and you, I'm not leaving you. I'm still in the, in the but I don't want to talk to you right now. <laughs> this, and, and he's just like, all right. And, he, and then he's like, what can, what, let's work on this. What do you want to do? So like, oh, you know what I want to do. He's like, all right, we'll do it, we'll do it your way. And then we, he does it our way or my way. And then like a day or two later, I'm like, oh, all right, you were right. Okay, you were right. But I still, yeah. And, 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 and see, what happens is there's that. There's a relationship. And then there's other times where it's just so sweet. So, but there's a relationship. And that has to happen. There has to be, with God, a relationship. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's not clean. It's real. It's relational. That's what you, there must be, okay? That is part of it. Number three, not just the word, not just relationship, but there is also then discovery. Part of it is discovering and learning what's in you. What has he placed in you made in the image of God? Now, I would love if I had the time right now, and I just know I don't because I already see it's not gonna happen, all right? But what I would love to do right now is I would love to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in fact, I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I have to. I'll do it quickly. I won't wait. I won't take too much time on it. But I want you to see this because I think this is this is critical to understanding uh, how God is going to call you into something and how to move in that. In First Corinthians 12, verse four, a very famous passage. He's talking about spiritual gifts, spiritual ministries, spiritual manifestations, things that kind of pique our interest a little bit. But I, I want you to hear the language that Paul uses to describe this, because it's insightful, it's helpful. He says that there are diversities of gifts, but it is the same Spirit, okay? Now, God gives gifts to His people. Those gifts are listed not here in this chapter, but in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, okay? The gifts that God gives and places inside of a human being are seven. There are seven of them, and they are different. He lists them off in Romans chapter 12, I think I, I wrote it down, yes, as prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy, or a better word in the, the modern context is empathy. 
that these are things that God gives, gifts that God gives to his people. Those are the gifts he's talking about in verse four. Now watch verse five. He says, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. Now, do you see that word administrations? Inside that word, you'll see the word ministry, administration or ministry. There are different types of ministries, and there are literally hundreds of different types of forms of service or ministries. There's one-on-one ministry, there's humanitarian ministries, there's counseling ministries, there's even YouTube ministries, and now there's even metaverse ministry. There is ministry everywhere. There are hundreds of different types of ministries or administrations, but it's the same Lord. Now watch verse 6. And there are diversities of operations. You see that word? Which means that two people can have the same gift, and yet it can operate in two completely different ways. People operate differently. Did you know that? Some people operate from a platform of humor, and they're very effective. Some people from intellect. Others use art. Some people are eloquent in words of their art form. Other people use music, and literally the sky is the limit as to how a gift can operate. Two teachers can teach completely different operational systems. If you don't know the differences between me and Pastor Bobby, we both do the same thing. We are very different. Our method is different. Our prep is different. Everything about the way we do the same thing is extremely different, but it's the same God. It's the same spirit. It says it's the same God that works all in all. Now watch verse 7. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit. Do you see that word manifestation? The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And then he explains what he means. What is the manifestation of the Spirit? He says in verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. That means supernatural wisdom from God. To another, the word of knowledge, to know something that you could not otherwise know by the Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these work that one and self-same Spirit, watch this, dividing to every man severally or liberally as he wills. All right, here's how it all ties together. Everyone has different gifts, okay? Everyone has different ministries and platforms wherein they use those gifts. Everyone operates a little bit differently within the use of those gifts. But when you do it, God shows up. That's the manifestation. When God is in it, God shows up. And it doesn't matter what your gifting is, what your calling is, when it's the Spirit of God that's leading and directing you, God is going to show up in it however He needs to at the moment to make you effective in what He has called you to do, because calling does not operate apart from the God who calls you. Okay, so part of being servant or or being under the purpose of God, like it says that they ministered to the Lord and fasted, is growing in their abilities and discovering what God had placed inside of them by using it in the context and platform of the present. Meaning that they weren't waiting for God to say, well, well, someday he's going to use me. Someday maybe he'll call me. Here I am, God, if you want to. No, every day, 
They were saying, God, how do you want to use what you've placed in me today? And in the process of that, they were growing, and those things were being cultivated, and they were being trained, and it was being drawn out of them what they would ultimately one day become, okay? So it says that they served the Lord. They ministered unto the Lord. The second thing that it says is it says that they fasted as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. How many people love that word? I'm about to help you and set you free (laughs) in this a little bit because that word grates on us a little bit, doesn't it? What does it mean? Fasting means to make yourself hungry by purposeful withholding. To make yourself hungry with purposeful withholding. And that is a very interesting and very profound concept. Because we are, human beings, creatures of appetite. We follow our appetites. We are led by our appetites. We are inspired and empowered by our appetites. It's just how we function. That's what is is true about us. And what do we know? We know that when we are hungry we pursue satisfaction. And when we are full, what do we do? We go to sleep. That's the human dynamic, isn't it? When we're hungry, we pursue. And when we're full, we go to sleep. And that is profound. And here's why. Because God fills and satisfies the hunger, the spiritual hunger that's inside of us. Like it says in the the 23rd Psalm, it says, I shall not want right? He leads me beside still waters, green pastures. He provides peace. He does all these things. And he does all this in my life. And there's this, this amazing satisfaction that comes from God. But yet at the same time, if I'm not careful, being content and satisfied can make me go to sleep concerning things that he may be trying to draw me towards or things that he's trying to work out of my life. And so sometimes the call to fasting is a purposeful making myself hungry for the sake of allowing him to direct and lead my path and me not sleeping. That's what it means, okay? Now, Paul would say in Philippians 4.12, it's an amazing verse. He said this. He says that I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need meaning that I am called to be content in whatsoever situation I am in, but at the same time, I am not called to ever lose my hunger to aspire to what God wants to do with me next. Because when I am too full in my life and too content, I go to sleep and I stop pursuing what he has for me next. And so sometimes there's a fasting that has to happen in order to make me hungry to hear and to be led of him. Now, fasting is not primarily and not singularly singularly concerning food, okay? Fasting, we think of as being the purposeful absence of food, but really it's the purposeful absence of satisfaction. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7, listen to it. Solomon wrote this. He says that the full soul loathes a honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Leave that verse up there for a minute. To the full soul, the full soul loathes the honeycomb, meaning that when you are full, then even something that is good doesn't taste great to you because you're full. You're already satisfied. But when you are hungry, 
Even the bitter things are sweet. Now, we understand that in the context of the physical, don't we? All right? When you are eating like crazy, like whatever you want, and, and it's junk, because when we just do that, we let ourselves go. We don't eat good, healthy things. We slowly slide towards the things that aren't good for us. And when that is happening and you are full of all that stuff, what happens when someone puts a plate of really healthy food in front of you? Are you hungry for it? No, you're like, no, I don't really want that. I'm not interested. <laughs> I've got other things on my mind, and I, you know. But when you've been fasting or when you are, you know, trying to get things in order and pull things together and you are hungry and someone puts that same plate of food in front of you, you're like, that is the most amazing smell I have ever smelled in my life. And I want to eat, I just want to devour that because I'm hungry, all right? Now, do you see the word in the verse? What does it say? It says the full what? Soul. It doesn't say the word belly. It says the full soul. Okay, what is the soul? The soul is the mind and the seat of the emotions. All right, and fasting oftentimes has little concern for the stomach, but more focus on the mind and the seat of the emotions. Okay, for me, for me personally, and I know everybody's different, but for me personally, food fasting does very little because food isn't my vice. It's just not my crutch. It's not the thing that I turn to. I don't eat my feelings. That's not my problem, okay? But I have problems, believe me. Mine is in my mind, okay? That's where I, I, I love having my mind stimulated by junk. I love it. I love watching a movie that just lets me escape reality and, and just think about something so different and just put myself right in it. The, the place of my imagination is the place where I can indulge in ways that it's not sinful necessarily, but it is sweet and it makes reality bitter because it's just my escape. You know, I love to listen to like a true crime podcast and, and just like get away from everything else in my life or to, to just, you know, binge listen to something or watch instructional how-to videos on YouTube. I could waste so much time doing those things. But you know what happens when I do that? When someone says, hey, I just read this really great book about discerning the will of God. Here, have it. I go, oh, I'm not, I'm not reading that. I'm not hungry. Why? Because the full soul loathes even the honeycomb. And so for me, fasting is to clear my mind of all the mental things that I'm filling it with constantly in order to get hungry again for the things that matter. And that's what you bring it back and you say, when it comes to the call of God, or what is he calling you to now? Or what is he moving you into next? Sometimes it is necessary to clear away all the things that are making us so satisfied that we don't want the will of God or that we don't need the will of God or that we're not submitted to and ready for the call of God or the things that he might want to do within my life. So prior to God saying, I've got something else for you, they were in a position where they were both submitted and ready for him to do it. And then they had the mental space to hear his voice and to be led of him for it. They ministered to the Lord and they fasted, ready to respond to what it is that he wanted to do next within their life. So they were serving his purpose. They were staying hungry, which means that they were aspiring for their own future. And God came to them in that moment and he said, you and you, let's go. And he called Saul and Barnabas to the work that he had called. Now, the call came. And don't you love the call? 
because the call is so, so obscure. He just goes, ah, I just want you to separate Saul and Barnabas for, for me. And you would think like, wait, no, Lord, there's more. Like, give me the handbook. Give me the whole instructional, like lay it out for me. And he's like, no, just come. Like, you'll figure it out along the way. And if, and if, you, are, and if you are one <clears throat> that is new to the kingdom of God and you're waiting for a call of God, I will tell you, this is how it is. Okay, welcome to the kingdom. God is not specific. He is not a chatterbox. He does not give us instructions that will allow us to walk without him with us. And it's one step at a time. So he says, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. So what happened during the calling? How do you know if a calling is really from God? Now, we weren't there in the room when this happened, but I'm sure that there's got to be an element of doubt. I'm sure that right now, if, if I was here and I said, the Holy Ghost says, you know, separate you and you for the work that I've called you on, you'd go, me? And you'd be like, I don't know, is that really God? Like, how do I know if a calling is really from God. Well, notice what it says after the calling came in verse 2. Um, it says, or I'm sorry, in verse 3. It says that when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So after the calling came, they didn't just agree to it and let it go. They did three things. They fasted, they prayed, and they laid hands on them. You say, well, they already fasted. Why did they fast again even after the fact? Here's why. Because one of the things that fasting will do is it will empty you of all emotional motivation, all right? It, when, when you are hungry or when you are starving or depleted and you're in weakness, all right, you lose the motivation. How many of you in here, by show of hands, and I want you to be honest with me, how many of you in here sense a very, very, very strong call from God right after your first cup of coffee in the morning? Like, God, you're calling me to, you're calling me to this, and you're, I'm going to take down the kingdom, I'm going to burn the cities for the kingdom of God, and all that stuff. And then by noon, you're like, oh, maybe that was, maybe, uh, maybe we'll just, Lord, just say it again tomorrow or something like that, you know? Why? Because sometimes we can mistake what we think is the call of God, right, for something that's just our emotions, or we're refreshed, or we're excited, or, or we just spent a great time with close friends, and, you know, we're just inspired and ready to go. But when you take time to empty yourself out and let all the emotional uh, excitement of those things go away, after a couple days, and, and you check and say, well, is that, real, is that call from there? Is there still that pull? Is there still that sense? Is there still something grabbing a hold of me that goes deeper than the way I feel? And so they fasted. And then it says that they also prayed, which means that they set themselves in a place where they asked God to confirm and lead them after now the call has come. Lord, if this is of you, keep saying it. Confirm it. Show it. Open the doors. Lead me in it. Because I don't want to walk one moment outside of your will. And then the third thing they did is that they had hands laid on them by the other people in their church that were close to them. And this is of the utmost importance. Because what it implies is that they had the affirmation and approval and the witness of the people that loved them and cared for them, to the point where they were willing, these other people, to put their fingerprints on the affirmation of the call. Okay, it would be like, and this is kind of probably a bad example, but it'll communicate the point. If you like really like 
we're, we're like, let's say you're um, uh, uh, in uh, law enforcement in the old Wild West and someone needs to die, like they're guilty. And you're the one that has to pull the trigger. And you're kind of like, I don't know, I'm about to take a life. Is this really the right thing to do? And everybody around you is like, yeah, he's doing it. And you said, okay, put your fingerprint on the gun. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, well, what did he do? And now you start asking a little bit more probing questions. Because once you put your fingerprint on the gun, now you are also complicit in the action that's about to take place. And so when someone comes and they say, hey, I really feel like the call of God, he's calling me to up and leave and go to a whole nother city or leave my job and, and start a brand new career. It's very easy for someone to just say, yeah, do it. You'll be fine. And you say, would you put your fingerprints on it? That if this turns out to be a train wreck in my life, you're also accountable for it. That when I get to heaven and find out that I was moving in emotions or that this was a really bad idea, is it going to come out that you just didn't care, but you put your hands on me anyways? It's so important then, because then people will give you their honest opinion. They'll give you the honesty, like, wait, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe that's not a great idea. You're asking me to like, lay, put my fingerprints on it. Um, let me think about this a little bit more. Because in the multitude of counselors, the Bible says that there is safety. And so when, when you sense a call of God, you want to get counsel from people that care about you and that love you to make sure that what you're doing is the right thing and that, that they affirm the call of God, that they see it in you as well. And so they, they did all of these things. And if a call endures through emotional exhaustion, through honest prayer, and through the affirmation of the people that care about you, then it probably is the call of God. And the reason why it's important to make your calling and election sure is this. Because no matter what your calling is, no matter what it is that God is asking you to do, it will be the hardest thing that you have ever imagined you could do or walk into in the entirety of your existence. And it doesn't matter what it is. Because when God has something for you, it is bigger than you. You can be certain of that. And it's going to require more of you than what you in and of yourself can physically, spiritually, mentally, or emotionally put out. And you need God. And there are going to be times when you are walking in the purpose of God for your life that the only thing that you will have is the call that will keep you going. And that's why it's important that you don't ever be able to look back and say, well, maybe I wasn't called. Or maybe it wasn't God. Because the calling you must hold on to. Well, what happens after the call? What does it look like when you answer it? I wish there was a six-month school, dreams and visions, invitations, an open door, all those things that would make it easy, but we get none of that. Watch what happens now as they respond. Verse 4. We have to go through this whole chapter. We're going to do it and get out on time. It says, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So the, they, they quickly respond, and they go to the closest port city, which is uh, Seleucia, from where they are. And from there, they sail to Cyprus, which probably was the first ship that was leaving from that port once they got there, because they were not given specific instructions. They were told to go, so they just go. And it says that when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John as their minister. Now, this John is John Mark that we've met in previous chapters. He is also Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. But at this point in time, he's a young man, 
and he comes along as more or less an intern or someone to help them with the practical things as they are going. But here's what I want you to see in this, is that these guys are called by God to go, and they go having absolutely no idea what they are doing or where they are going. And they even start doing things that don't really seem to, to do all that much good. Because they go and they get to this first place, they preach the word in the synagogue. I mean, what was that? What's that like? I mean, it's just, it's the two of them. There's no context for Christianity at this place. They're there, put yourself there. And Saturday rolls around, they're like, maybe we should go to church. Like it's synagogue. Maybe we, I mean, what do we do? You know, how do we do this? And so they're like, yeah, I guess that's where spiritual conversations are going to happen. And so they go to the synagogue and they preach the, as much as they can. They just preach the word, but nothing happened. No one got saved. There was no revival. There was no conflict. There was no healing. They just do it. And they're like, what do we do now? And Paul's like, well, I don't know, but I'm going to walk in this call. Let's keep moving. So they walk 95 miles from where they are in Salamis. And it says in verse six, that when they had gone through the whole aisle to Paphos, 95 miles, then there they found a certain sorcerer, a magi, a magician, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus or son of Jesus. That's what Bar-Jesus means, the son of Jesus. Can you imagine this encounter? They're like, Lord, you're going to use us here. And the first thing they see is this guy. And he's like, oh, he's got a cross around his neck and let's talk to him. And so they come and talk to him and he's this crazy magician sorcerer whose name is the son of Jesus. That's what he calls himself. That's the official title. And they're like, well, let's just engage him. Let's evangelize him. Let's talk to him. And, and so what they find out as they talk to this guy in verse 7, it says that he was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus. His name literally means Sergeant Small. A prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. So the deputy or the ruler, the Roman prefect or authority, deputy, in this part of the Roman Empire is connected with this false prophet, Bar-Jesus. And Bar-Jesus leads Saul and Barnabas right to this man, Sergius Paulus, and it tells us that he is prudent, which means that he's diligent, he's careful, he's selective, he's aware, he cares about his life and his future. And as he sees these two guys and understands through the liaison of a demon-possessed magician that they are preachers of the word, he says, I want to hear what you have to say. And he says that the, it says that he desired to hear the word from them. But it says in verse 8 that Elimas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Okay, now why... Would someone who calls himself the son of Jesus want to turn this man away from the truth about Jesus? And here's the answer. Because the truth about Jesus sets people free from the need of a mediator to stand between them and God. And that was what Bar-Jesus, Elimas the sorcerer, that's what he was to this man, Sergius. Well, I can bring you to God. And here comes Paul and Barnabas and says, no, 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 you don't need any of that. See, the son of God is so living, so real, and so alive, you can attach directly to him and you don't need anybody else because the truth makes you free. And when Elimas, Bar-Jesus, heard that, he goes, no, 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 this is false, what these, we, what these men are, are saying. Now watch this, verse 9. Then Saul who also is called 
Paul. Circle that moment because we will never, ever again throughout the book of Acts hear him referred to, referred to as Saul. He is now Paul. His name is officially changed. I don't know if he did this or if God did this, but I think when Paul, Saul, met Sergeant Small, Sergius Paulus, and saw in this moment what was taking place, like he sees the sorcerer guy and he sees the effect, the lordship, the, the stronghold that he has over this man's life. And he says, I never want to be that. I never want my spiritual authority or the calling that God's placed in my life to move me into a place where I become such an influence over a person that they look to me instead of looking to him. I'm taking that name. Because Saul means desired, and Paul means small. And he says, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be one that brings people to Jesus and thrusts them upward. I'm not going to lord over them. I think Paul learned from Elimas. I think he's the wise Christian that learns from every single person they encounter, the good and the bad. Sometimes we learn what to do. Sometimes we learn what not to do. It says that he set his eyes on him, filled with the Holy Ghost, and he said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Do you see that this man, he heard the word of freedom and truth that came from Paul, but it wasn't until the word of freedom and truth was demonstrated by the power and the life and the reality of what God gives that it was then that those two things came together and produced faith within this man. See, it isn't the knowledge of the things of God that truly converts a person. It's the knowledge of the things of God plus the power of the Spirit in the life to make it real and living and to break the chains of things that used to hold you captive. And when that happens, a person is astonished at the doctrine or the teaching of the Lord because of the power that comes with it. Now, I love Paul because you would think at this point, he's like, well, this is it. We found it. This is where the revival is about to start. The deputy got saved. The church is about to form. But Paul says, nope, I am not going to let my current success keep me from the future that God has. It says that Paul and his company loosed from Paphos and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And it says that John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Paul says, I'm not staying here in this place. I'm, if I stay here, then it will steal my future or weaken my calling. We've got to keep moving. And it tells us here at this point, the pressure of it became too much for John Mark. And he says, guys, I can't do this. I've got to go back to Jerusalem. This isn't right for me. You say, why did John Mark depart at this point? And you know what the answer is? Because it wasn't his calling. That's why. He wasn't, who, who was called? Saul and Barnabas. They were called by God. And, and John Mark wanted to go. He was of a ready mind. He was willing, but he couldn't endure it because it wasn't his calling. It wasn't his time. Have you, have you ever tried to find your identity in someone else's calling? Have you ever seen someone who, who their calling fits them so well and they operate so gracefully in it and you resonate with it so much that you say, I'm just going to do what they do because that makes sense to me. And then you try it 
And it's cool, but it's hard because it's not you and it's not your calling. It's not what God made you to do or made you to be, or you don't operate in that way. And all of a sudden you realize like, man, I made a mistake because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming someone else is calling upon my life. And, and that's okay if you do that. I think sometimes that's how we figure out what we are not. And it's a step to figure out what we are. But when you find yourself in that place, you know what the right thing to do is? Go back. Because John Mark could have been like, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying to be something I'm not. And his life would have just gotten harder and he would have wasted more time. But in his wisdom, do you know what he did? He said, I'm going to go back to the ministering to the Lord and fasting phase. I'm going to go back to the, to the waiting on him, growing in him, cultivating in him phase, and I'm going to wait for what he has for me. And you know what? Mark will be a missionary, and I think he might write a book. God might use him. But don't try to find your identity in someone else's calling. You keep your eyes on Jesus and then let the calling come as God places it on you. Now, I, I, I am not going to go through the rest of this chapter. I've been overruled by the clock yet again, and I am a merciful man who cares about your tomorrow and, I'm not, and your attention span, which I know what that feels like. Here's what I, here's what I want to leave you with, and the worship team can come. We are going to close in a moment. No one, no one ever knows what to do in the calling that God places on them. No one ever it says, yeah, we're going to go here and, and this is going to happen and it's going to be amazing and great. No, no, no. When God calls you to something, you just do it. And then you wait for him to show up. And that's what he does. He shows up as you walk in what he's called you to do. Abraham, go to a place. Go, leave here. Leave your father's house and go. Why? Go. <laughs> What's going to happen? Go. He goes, and as he's going, all right, things are unfolding, and as he's faced with challenges, what he realizes is that God has been equipping him all along to face the challenge he's facing in that moment. And then he says, keep going. Joseph gets a dream. He's going to lead. His life is going to mean something. There's a calling. He has to just go. Lord, I'm in prison. Yeah, I know. What do you want me to do? Just be in prison. Trust me. But Lord, just use your gifts. Serve. Minister. Make life easier for other people. Lord, they lied about me. It's not just. Just trust me. Then all of a sudden, one day, someone says, we got this administrative thing that we can't figure out. And Joseph goes, oh, I know how to do that. When I was in prison, we had to do this whole thing. And we worked on a farm. And I know how to agriculture on this whole thing. It's real easy. You guys don't even get it. This is so simple. He didn't know that he was being equipped while he was going and doing what God called him to do. You go through the Bible and it's consistent with God. Every single person he ever called, Moses, go back and I'm going to show you what to do. What do I do? Just go. Do you get it? Go. Go. What? Go. go. Okay. Here, here's, what I, here's what I think has happened to you and I. To, to some of us, is that there's a missed call, okay? God has called, and we are maybe so satisfied or so content or maybe so tired or maybe, maybe for some of us, we have confused 
dying to this world with dying to this life. And we become dead to this life. And we say, well, God, we'll just, there's no hope for anything. We're just going to wait for you to come. And he says, no, 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 don't do that. Look at what's going on. You are still here. You still have a heartbeat. There is still a world out there that it's in, that's in need of, of saving. There is still something in you that, that wants to be drawn out of you. There is something for you to do. Don't go to sleep. Maybe you need to make yourself hungry a little bit again. Maybe scrap some things so that you can give attention to meaningful things. Because there's a call. There's something that God wants to do. Don't miss the call that he's placed upon your life. Father, we, we just thank you tonight, Lord, as we consider these things and, and as we look through the lens of your word and see ourselves in its shadow. And we just pray, Father, that not one of us would be in a place where we have put you on the back burner or become so consumed with our own thing that we can't hear your voice and we've stopped ministering to you, we've lost a hunger for you, or we've fallen asleep towards a pursuit of you. So revive and restore those things in us tonight and help us, Lord, in the context of our lives, our families, our marriages, our jobs, our opportunities, our businesses, our talents, our church, our ministries, our abilities, our dreams, the things that you've put in us that need to come out that none of us, not one, would come short in any area. Teach us to walk with you, to trust in you, to seek you, to know you, to hunger and thirst for you, to deny ourselves and sacrifice where we need to for the sake of what's coming in the future, that we wouldn't trade our future blessing for our present comfort. Would you give us that wisdom, that vision, that discernment, that understanding? God, we look to you for it now. Help us to hear you. We ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, Leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.